If I haven't met you yet, uh, we're glad you're here with us this morning. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. The verses will be on the screen. We've been walking through the book of Matthew um, together. And we're going to continue on today as Jesus is in the garden, leading up to the moment where he will be betrayed, handed over, uh, and eventually crucified. Today's message is called, Not My Will, But Yours Be Done. Uh, I'm going to come out swinging today. I'm feeling, I'm feeling spicy. Uh, I'm going to make a bold statement. And I want to see if you agree with me. I would say it this way. We always do what we want to do. We always do what we want to do. Now, you might say, Justin, that's not true. I do things that I don't want to do all the time. I'm a parent, right? Like I, or maybe you say, I didn't even want to be here today, but she made me, right? And we got some marriage counseling set up now for if you guys want to come in and we, we, usually it's free, but um, so I was at my nephew Chase's birthday a few weeks ago, and we had an ice cream cake. Now I just want to—I just want to admit this, confess this. Ice cream cake is one of the, my favorite things in the entire world. I would say it's on the Mount Rushmore of things that I love in my life. In fact, I just wanted to prove that. Um, here is the Mount Rushmore <laughs> of things: my 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 God, my wife, my mother, and ice cream cake. Like that is. Those are my priorities. That's just how I, how I roll. I spent way too much time putting that graphic together uh, for it to be on the screen for five seconds. So just, just like that, enjoy that, take a picture of it, whatever. Um, so, um, I, I, so I'm at my, my nephew's birthday party, and I want to eat the entire cake. I love, I want to just plant my face on top of it. And you know, like the hungry, hungry hippos thing? I just wanted to like, like go all the way and eat the entire, that's what I want to do. But you say, well, wait a second, Justin. Didn't you just say we always do what we want to do? Then why didn't I just go Garfield on that ice cream cake? There's a reason. The reason is because there was something that I wanted even more than to eat the entire cake. I didn't want the rest of my family sitting there at the table with me to think that I am a gluttonous psychopath, right? (laughs) That's what I want even more. And so I did what I wanted. What I desired more than the ice cream cake was to be seen as a polite, uh, self-controlled young man who was willing to share his nephew's birthday cake with his nephew, right? Felt like that was fair. I just felt like it was a good thing to do. And we we always do what we want to do. So we have to ask ourselves, then in this situation, what was my true, deepest desire? I, I didn't want to obey my boss, Disagreed with them, thought it was terrible, but even more so, I didn't want to get fired, right? Didn't want to obey mom and dad, but even more so, I didn't want the red tushy. I wanted to laze around the house all day. I wanted to just hunt for two solid months, but I knew what I really wanted was a paycheck. So I got in the car and I went to work. Now, of course, we're not talking about outside influences, I don't, sometimes we're harmed and we don't want to be harmed. There's things that we want to be in our lives that we're not, I'm talking about things in our control, desires that are within our control. And this takes us back to the beginning, page three of the Bible. We're in the Garden of Eden. And the, remember, the reason we got into this sin mess in the first place is actually because Adam and Eve did what they wanted. When God created Adam and Eve, he puts them in this amazing garden. He says, I want you to run around in your birthday suits, and I just want you to enjoy what I've created for you. I want you to take care of the plants and the animals. Here's your all-you-can-eat fruit buffet, and enjoy my company. Like, it's an amazing life that he gave them. He said, there's one thing. Don't eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil. I want you to trust me and obey me. I want you to want what I 
want. But then we know how the story goes. There's this slippery serpent that comes slithering through the grass, and he lies to Eve, and he says, no, 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 you don't understand. God is actually just holding back on you. You can't trust him. Verse 5 of Genesis 3 says, God knows that your eyes will be opened as, you, as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So she takes, she listens to the lie, doubts the father's heart, and she takes and she eats of the literal forbidden fruit. The woman was convinced she saw the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Why? Not because there was a garden-wide shortage of fruit. That's not what's going on here. Yeah, the fruit looked good and she wanted to eat it because it looked good, but what did it say she really wanted? said she wanted the wisdom that it gave her. And Eve and Adam effectively say to God here, I don't trust your heart. I'm not going to depend on you to tell me what is right and wrong. I want to decide that for myself. And this was Adam and Eve's declaration of independence. And this is where ultimately where all sin stems from. Is, is, is pride. It's self-dependence. In fact, the Bible tells us, it's Romans 14, everything that does not come from faith, which is dependence on, belief in, reliance on God, is sin. So if we're doing it out of reliance and dependence on self and not him, he says, in his eyes, it is sinful. And, and we come to find that sin is not just an issue of the intellect. Sin is ultimately an issue of the heart. It's not just the mind, it's the will, what we want because we know a lot of things, right? We know the commercial. This is your brain on drugs. Like the reason people don't do, they're like, oh, drugs are bad for you, right? We're not confused about that. The reason we're doing it is because we want the feeling, the immediate gratification it gives us. We want the self-medication. We want to feel or not feel. We know that some of the things that we do, we, we know on the other side that we're going to feel guilt and shame and yet there's a deeper desire to feel a certain way. And so we stare logic in the face and we do what we want. When we sin, effectively, we're telling God, just like Adam and Eve, I know what you want me to do. I know you want me to depend on you, but I don't, I don't trust your way. So I'm going to do what I want to do independent of you. I know better than you. I'll decide what's good and what's evil. And effectively, when we declare our independence, we are telling God, not your will, but mine be done. Not what you want, but what I want. And effectively, we become our own gods. Now, in today's story, we're going to be back in a garden where Adam, there's, there's another Adam, different Adam, but he's actually faced the same choice as our original Adam. Now, when we talk about um, how to study the Bible, we talk a lot about just making simple observations as you're reading. And oftentimes, if you want to know what this particular story or text is trying to talk about, you could simply say, well, what words are being repeated a lot or themes or ideas? And when you read through the 11 verses that we're going to read through today, five times the word pray comes to the surface. That's almost every other verse. And I believe this is a central idea of our, of our text today. So we want to, as we're reading, I want you to be asking, what's God trying to teach us about prayer? What's Jesus trying to model to us about prayer? And, and I believe this is at the heart of what it looks like to change 
our wants and align them with what God wants. So we want to look at three marks of Jesus's prayer, prayer of dependence, and what we need to learn from it today. So let's do some work here. There are some uh, blanks in your notes as you're following along out of your bulletin. Uh, number one, Jesus prayed believing in the Father's power. Jesus prayed believing in the Father's power. So we're going to pick it up in verse 36 of, Gen- of Matthew chapter 26. It says, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. There's a tongue twister. Gethsemane. Say it. Gethsemane. All right. Yeah, there we go. Got to make sure you got your mask on if you're going to say a word like that. Um, So Gethsemane means an olive press. Uh, this is this is actually, and, and this olive press actually stands to this day. There's this olive grove, uh, and there's a church that actually stands on this property. And this is a place where olives were squeezed or pressed to make olive oil, which is a fitting place because this is where we're going to see Jesus pressed. We're going to see him squeezed and face a pressure that no other human has ever faced. And so who does he bring with him in this darkest hour? Verse 37, and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So it's Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which we find in the list of disciples. The sons of Zebedee are James and John. So he's taking Peter, James, and John. These were his inner three, and there are several key occasions in his ministry where he takes these three along. Do you remember another key occasion in Matthew where he just has Peter, James, and John along with him? You remember the story, Matthew, he tells us about the Mount of Transfiguration. And these three come up this mountain with Jesus and they see him light up. They see the full glory of God revealed in Jesus. And in that moment, they see him as fully God. They see that he's divine. And yet here in the garden, they see and they need to understand that he's not just fully God, but he's also fully what? He's fully man. And he must be both. This is the mystery of the God-man, Jesus. That, that, that he must be both. To, to, be, to be the perfect sacrifice, he had to be God fully. But to be, in order to die, to be a sacrifice, he had to be fully man. But there's another lesson that we see in his full humanity here. That we know when we walk through our darkest night, that our Savior understands our Savior has felt what you felt. He's walked the road you've walked. And he describes the emotion that accompanies this in verse 37. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to the point of death. Remain here and watch over with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed. What do we see here? We see the emotion, the anguish in Jesus. In fact, this word sorrowful, the Greek, it means the most extreme anguish that the soul can possibly feel. This is is Jesus experiencing torture of the soul. In fact, someone described this as a severe anxiety attack that Jesus is experiencing. Or to put it another way, it it meant a sorrow so deep that it almost kills. Have you experienced this kind of sorrow? Brother and sister, we want to hear these words this morning and be comforted that your Savior has as well. And what we're seeing here in the midst of this sorrow and anxiety, we see that Jesus is perfect submission to the Father. He places himself in the palms of the Father's hands. And he also teaches us here, listen, as fellow human beings, we're not called to hide our emotions, to stuff them down, to to neglect them, to pretend like they're not there. What did Jesus do here? He prayed. 
And he came honestly as he was. He didn't come with a painted smile on his face, come talking KJV language, thee, thou, thine, divinest, He comes not pretending everything's all right. Your God wants you to come as you are. Your God wants all of you. He says, I want you to come and tell me what's on your mind. I want you to cry to me. I want you to yell at me. I want you to crumble before me. And this is what happens. He says he fell on his face. Fell on his face. And this is, this is a, a posture of exhaustion as he just collapses. This is also a posture of prayer and dependence that Jesus is showing us what true humility looks like. And this word humility is fascinating. It comes from the Latin word hummus or humus, which means of the earth or of the ground. It describes lowness, which is exactly what we're seeing. And Jesus gets down low on the ground. This is actually where we get our word human from. It's from this same root word as humility. Because where were we created from? The dust from the earth. And this is our position as the created ones in, in the presence of God who created us. He's the author. He's the authority. We belong to him as the created being. And it also talks about our true position that he is God and I am not. And so I lower myself to the dust in front of him, expressing my need for him every moment of my life. Jesus models this in this posture stretched out in this olive grove. And in his hour of greatest need, Jesus shows perfect dependence on God as a human, fully human, in the dust, on the ground, before his Father. And what is it that he prays? What is it that he says to him? He says in verse 39, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, what's he talking about with this cup? Well, we know from last week he shared a cup of wine with his disciples at the Passover meal, symbolizing the sacrifice that he was going to make for them and for us today. This cup he's talking to refers to the cup of wrath. Psalm 75 says that the, the cup of God's wrath towards sin will be drank down to the dregs, all the way to the bottom. And this is what Jesus did. He drank the wrath of God for you and for me And this is the unspeakable anguish that Jesus is experiencing. And listen, it's not just that he's about to be betrayed by his closest friends. It's not just that he's about to go on trial, the sham of a trial, and to be completely mocked by his creation. And it's not just what he's going to experience on the cross when he, when he feels the, the, the crown and he feels the, the whips and the thorns and the, the beating and the suffocation. It goes beyond that. The anguish Jesus is about to feel we talked about the feeling of guilt and shame for one sin in our lives. You imagine bearing the weight of every sin from every human for all time in one moment. The anguish is unspeakable, unimaginable. But I think the anguish even goes a step farther than that. That we know because sin was on him and sin, it, it, it means death which is separation from God, the holy God. Sin separates us from him. And in this moment, Jesus was separated from the one that he loved more than anyone else in the world, more than anyone that he relied on, more than anybody else. His lifeline was severed in that moment as the father turned his face away. Sorrow to the point that it kills. And so Jesus prays, honestly, Father. And I think he meant this. If it's possible, if there's another route, if there's another way, if we can do this some other way, let's do that. 
I know what I'm facing. I know what this means. And even in anguish, I don't think he ever doubted if my God, if my Father could change the course of my fate, he would change the course of my fate. And Jesus, on the cross, and even here in the garden, says, I believe, I trust in, I rely on my Father's power. And one of the reasons that I don't pray very often, or as often as I know that I, that I ought because I fail to believe that God's powerful enough to do the things that I want him or need him to do in my life. Do we believe that? God, do you really believe that he can save your marriage? Do you really believe he can, he can bring back the wandering child? Do we really believe he can deliver us out of that addictive tendency that we have? Jesus prayed, believing in the Father's power. Number two, he prayed trusting in his Father's plan his father's plan, trusting in his father's plan. Now he says here, he says, I don't want to drink from this cup. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to drink from this cup. But we always do what we say, we, what we want to do, right? It's what we said. So what is it that Jesus wants even more than to have this cup pass from him? What is it that he wants the most? He tells us in the next line, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Ultimately, Father, what I want is what you want. See, we're back in a garden with a man and a decision. But whereas the first Adam said to God, not your will, but mine be done, and he ate of the fruit, he wanted to do it on his own, the the last Adam, the true and better Adam, says to his father in a garden, not my will, but yours be done. The first Adam chose independence Self-dependence, the last Adam, clung to his father. Independence. Jesus didn't want to suffer, but more deeply, he wanted what his father wanted. See, in his humanity, he was fully man. He wanted a different way, but in his divinity, in his fully godness, he willingly placed himself in his father's hands, trusted his father's heart, knew that his father loved him, had the best for him, knew there was glory on the other side of suffering, and could trust himself in his father's will. So this is the ultimate question of our lives. Will we trust our Father's will? Will we trust his, his will? The first Adam didn't and the last Adam did. See, when I sin, what I'm doing is really I'm following the first Adam, right? That I'm saying, God, I don't trust your heart toward me. I don't trust your ways better than mine. So independent of you, I'm going to do what I want, what I think is best, my timing, my way. But when we follow the last Adam, we, we echo Jesus' words, God, I don't want to suffer in this moment. This is hard. Like, this is another way, let's do that. But, nevertheless, I trust you. I trust your heart for me. I trust your path for me. You might say, man, I want, out, I want out of this marriage. I want out of this difficult relationship, out of this difficult situation. But I know you want me to stay. I, 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 I want to keep self-medicating with this thing that I can't put down. But I know you want me to be free of those chains. But you might say, well, Justin, you don't understand. I do want what God wants. I try, and I try really hard. And I just don't seem to have the strength to do it. There's good news. There's good news. There are are some disciples in our story who are in the same boat, and they have an important lesson for us to learn. And so our our last point we're going to turn to here is that Jesus prayed, relying on his Father's protection. He prayed, relying on his Father's protection. Um, Any of you guys have trouble staying awake at key moments of your life when you should be awake? 
like my dad, he, uh, you know, he struggles with staying awake when he's driving. I probably shouldn't admit that into a congregation of people, but uh, that's another story. We can pray for him. But I have diagnosed myself with what I call cinematic narcolepsy, which basically means I fall asleep during movies. Uh, this is a picture of Jill and I at the movies theater. And uh, people, people hate watching movies with me. Like the opening credits are still rolling and I'm just, I'm like, I'm out. And Jill in love is, is, is tapping my chest to wake me up to rejoin her. Um, I remember driving home when I was in college, um, car full of friends, and we were going home from the world's greatest amusement park, Cedar Point in Ohio, come on. And uh, as we're driving home, I am struggling big time. And I'm doing all the tricks I'm drinking the water, I'm shoveling M&Ms in to try to, I got my, my, my head out the window like a dog in the wind, I'm singing along with the Backstreet Boys because it's 2002, right? Quit playing games with my heart, I'm doing whatever I can to try to stay awake, and I turn around, and you know what I see? A car full of my friends, racked out. You think it's funny? In the hour of my deepest need, my friends have abandoned me. I know exactly how Jesus, I don't know. Um, Jesus tells his disciples, he tells the inner three, he says, watch and pray. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Verse 41, watch and pray. Why does he tell them to watch and pray? This word literally means stay awake, be alert. And why does he command them to do this? He finishes his sentence, that you may not enter into temptation. He says, this is going to get hard and you need to stay sober-minded, stay alert, and pray so that you don't... And this is not... I don't think this is just the temptation to fall asleep in the garden. What did he predict last week was going to happen when the shepherd struck? The sheep will scatter. Pray so that you won't fall into the temptation of cowardly retreat, of falling away from your Savior. He says, pray, pray. And Jesus himself here, he, first of all, he modeled perfect submission. Jesus modeled perfect submission. Jesus is the example, the supreme example of of trusting God in every season. He's living out the very things that he taught on the Sermon on the Mount. All the things that he calls us to. Jesus here shows us that we're supposed to pray, but also what to pray. Do you remember when he talked about the Lord's Prayer? What do you hear in the garden? He's praying the very things he said to pray. Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And pray that you will not lead us into temptation. Jesus is praying the things he told them to pray, and he's telling them to do the same thing. And once again, oops, I guess we're not there yet. Jesus not only modeled perfect submission, but he also empowers perfect submission. And I love this, the the love of Jesus here. Again, Jesus is in the darkest moment of his life, and who is he thinking about? His disciples. Pray so that you won't enter into temptation. Do what I'm doing. Always thinking about others, teaching others. And why do they need to pray? It says, so you won't enter into temptation. And, and why might you enter into temptation? The Spirit's willing. Like, I, I know you mean well, but the flesh is weak. Spirit's willing, the flesh is weak. In fact, he comes back to them three times. And what does he find each time? Just like my friends in the car. The disciples are completely racked out. They've failed to stay with him and pray. And I don't think this is boredom. I don't think they're just like, this is lame, garden, turn on the Netflix, take a, take a power nap. This is, G- in fact, Luke 22 gives us another clue here. He says, when he found them sleeping, what was he? He found them sleeping for sorrow. 
they too were experiencing an anguish of soul. I mean, think about these three. Jesus, their master, has completely changed their lives. He came out of nowhere and said, come follow me, and I'll make you no longer fishers of men, fishermen, but fishers of men. And for three years they followed him, and now their savior, their master, their Lord says, I'm going to die, and you are all going to bail on me. And it's crushing them to the point of exhaustive sleep. Peter, remember Mr. I'll never leave you, he said that last week, he can't even keep his eyeballs open in the very garden where he made that boast. Unlike Jesus, these men, they fail the test. They don't turn to their father. Why? He said, your flesh is weak. That you on your own, you can't. It's the same reason they're going to flee and deny him. They mean well, but they are weak sinners, weak-willed. Just like us. Here's our reality. You and I are self-dependent sinners who don't want to ask for God's help. Say, I do it. And, and then here, here's the takeaway. is not, what we're not coming out of this is saying, grit your teeth and try harder. Really want it, right? Just strengthen your will. That cannot be the take home from this. We've all done that, right? This time, I won't sin God, and I really mean it. We go right back to it. Here's our reality. This is, this is where prayer comes in, right? Prayer, simply put, is dependence on God. It's dependence on God. It says, I can't, you can, and I'm going to let you. It's that humble posture that we talked about earlier, that we're in the garden as his created beings, humans, in the dust before him, humbly relying on him. But in our Adam-like pride, we say, I do it. That's exactly why Jesus is doing what he's doing in the garden. Listen, Jesus is being the, the human that you and I could never be. That's why the gospel isn't try harder. The gospel is Jesus. The gospel says that Jesus perfectly and faithfully stayed connected to the Father through prayer, doing his will, not his own. Unlike any other human, that Jesus was crucified on the cross, sacrificing himself to pay for our self-dependence, to pay for our unfaithfulness, that Jesus conquered sin and death when he rose from the grave, including that very pride that keeps us from praying in the first place. And Jesus took our old sinful desires and he nailed them to the cross I need us to see and believe. God needs us to believe these truths. Galatians 5.24 says it so well. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires, your old wants of the sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Did you hear that? He says your old wants no longer control you. You're no longer in bondage to them. But not only that, not only does he say, I've crucified your old wants, I've actually given you a whole new set of wants. Seven verses earlier, he says the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Do you hear what he's saying? That you and I got a desire transplant. Because remember we said we always do what we want to do. And so what did Jesus have to do? He had to change our want conform our wills to his wills. Now, this is a process. It's a gra grace 
dependent, day-by-day, slow, messy process. But this is the trajectory of the believer. We begin to want the things that he wants. It's a work he's doing in us. The gospel of Jesus is the story of how he transforms us from the desires of the first Adam to the desires of the second Adam. So we can now say, not my will, but yours be done, that we can now, in prayerful dependence, start to want and do the things that he wants us to do. John 15 says, without me, you could do nothing. (laughs) He's our lifeline. But here's what, true freedom is not that you can do whatever you want. That's actually bondage. True freedom is that you are free, released to be able to do what you were originally designed to do. And that's to trust and obey your Father. True freedom is dependence on God. I want to finish our time together in prayer. Not like normally when I, I pray and the band sneaks up here. I want you to pray. And I want us to do a little heart work. And so we're going to consider our posture. So you close your eyes if you need to sit up and, and straighten up a little bit. If you need to get low, get closer to the earth. Whatever you need to do to posture yourself before your Father. And I want us to start here by just acknowledging that the Father is right here with us. You realize God's presence is, is here. He is so excited to hear from you. That your, your Father, this is his favorite part when his people come to him and talk to him. I want to do a couple things together here. First thing we want to do, we talked about this last week, we want to confess our sin. What are some ways this week, some ways this year, that you see the self-dependent nature of your heart shining through? Where you've said, God, not what you want, but what I want. My will be done. I want us to take a minute, reflect on that, confess that, repent of that. And secondly, we want to thank our Father for Jesus. The only reason that we can come to him right now in prayer, boldly approaching the throne room, is because we come in the name of Jesus. We want to thank him that he crucified our old desires paid for the sin of those old desires and self-dependency has now risen us to new life and given us the new desires of the Spirit. Just thank Jesus for what he's given us. Just Just declare and claim and thank God for our position in Jesus. And third, we want to acknowledge that without me, you can do nothing. When you look at the disciples, Peter, James, and John in the garden, they're weak. They deny him. They defect. They can't stay awake. But look at the book of Acts. These men become bold, humble, and faithful. They suffer and die just like their Savior for their Savior. That's the transforming work of the Spirit in them. And that's the same thing that he wants to do in you. Ask him for the desire transplant. Ask him that that your will would start to become his will. That we'd become the people that God's called us to be by his grace change in our hearts, those that we will be humbly trusting, we'll boldly shout it from the mountains, tell it to the masses, and we'll faithfully love others in our lives. Fourth, we see Jesus, he, he, he prayed to his father, but he also asked his closest friends to watch with him and to pray with him. Who's someone in your life today that that needs you to pray with them, suffer with them, stay, remain with them, pray with them, watch with them. Maybe it's somebody who's dying. Maybe it's someone who's sick, neglected, someone who's walking through the throes of, 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 
of an affair or their marriage is on the rocks or they're experiencing severe depression or anxiety. Maybe it's somebody who's losing their job or lost their job, someone who's losing the fight with addiction. Who is the Spirit impressing on your heart right now to pray with and then throughout this week to stay with and watch with? We pray for that person right now. And we feel our eyelids getting heavy. We feel the ground calling us to fall asleep. We're going to look at Jesus who felt our anguish and says, I got you. Beneath the weight of all your sin, I bowed to none but heaven's will. And we sing the words, the Savior says, your strength is small, child of weakness. Watch and pray. Find in me your all in all. I want us to take a moment as the band's going to come up, lead us into this next song about God being with us. We're going to claim the truths that God's right here with you. He faithfully stays with you, died for you, raised for you. What do you need to say to the Father? What do you need to hear from the Father? And where in your life do you need to trust the Father's way, the Father's timing, the Father's will? Where do you need to do the, the right thing, trust him to do what he said to do and not take the shortcut, not to do it your way? Not say my will be done, but to say your will be done.